introduce myself a little bit more properly, actually. Um, I don't know if I've fully kind of explained the grandeur of my person to you. Um, I am the unique and eternal Son of God. Yeah. Uh, I existed before the world began in the glory of the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit. I brought everything into existence. I am the light of the cosmos. I am the one person who you need to know if you want your sins forgiven. I will judge all people at the end, and your eternity depends on me. And if you want to know what God looks like, just keep looking right here. Okay. I probably better stop now, hadn't I? I probably better stop before lightning strikes or something like that. Uh, as I make these kinds of claims to you, how are you reacting? Probably not mildly, right? You're probably thinking, these Australians, they're even more arrogant than I thought they were. This is ridiculous. When people start to claim the sorts of things that I've just claimed, you probably back away from them and start dialing 999, don't you? You probably want to see me sections, don't you? When I start talking in these kinds of terms, trying to claim that I and the Father are one, well, that's, that's something that Jesus said. In fact, on every page of John's Gospel, we'll be thinking about John's Gospel this morning, on every page of John's Gospel, Jesus comes at people and he makes extraordinary claims about himself. He says things like, I am the one bread of life, without me you go hungry. I am the one light of the world, without me you're walking in darkness. I am the good shepherd, we'll see that this morning. I am the good shepherd, without me you're lost, totally lost. I am the resurrection and the life. Without me, you perish eternally. I am the one way to God. I am the one truth about reality. I am the one life that is really life. And to know what God looks like, you just keep looking here. Okay? These are the things that Jesus says on every page of this book. And yet, I go around the place talking to people about Jesus, and somehow they manage to have a mild opinion of Jesus. How do they manage it? So many people say to me, oh, I love Jesus, what a, what a great guy, what a great example, what a great teacher. I think Jesus was a wonderful teacher, people tell me. If you think Jesus is just a wonderful teacher, that only proves that you are not a good listener. Because listen to what he's teaching. In everything that he says, he exalts himself and puts himself forward as God come to earth. That's who Jesus thinks of himself as. And in John chapter 10, in uh, verse 20, it's on page 631 if you want to look it up in these uh, church Bibles, but on John chapter 10, verse 20, everyone who was listening to Jesus, there were some who believed him, those who didn't believe him, they said, he has a demon and is insane, why listen to him? See, if you were there and you heard the things that Jesus said, you wouldn't go, oh, what a lovely little saying. I must cross-stitch that onto a, onto a wall hanging, right? If you were there, you would either bow down and worship or you would want to section him, okay? That, it's, it's either one or the other. You would either think, oh my goodness, God has shown up and here he is, hallelujah, or you'd think, this guy is insane and has a demon, it's funny, those three options are options that C.S. Lewis mentioned. You know, the author of the Narnia books, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all those sorts of things. He wrote lots of great Christian books. He came to faith later in life, and one of the things that convinced him of who Jesus was is he just took seriously the things that Jesus says. And he thought to himself, you know, if somebody makes these kinds of claims, they're either insane, or they have a demon, or they're telling the truth. 
He put it like this, that they're either mad or they're bad or they're God. There really are only three options. They're either mad, they're lying to themselves, right? Or they're bad, they're lying to you. But if they're not lying to themselves and if they're not lying to you, oh, they must be telling the truth, right? And if they're telling the truth, then, oh my goodness, here is God. God has shown up in the flesh. And what C.S. Lewis is trying to do, or what I'm trying to do, is, is not trying to back you into a corner where you've got your arm up behind your back and you go, all right, fine, Jesus is God. I finally admit it, as though it were a bad thing, as though I have to force you to believe that Jesus is God. I happen to think it would be the best news in the world if Jesus was God. Don't you think? Wouldn't it be the most astonishing news imaginable if this one, this Jesus who shows up and stoops and serves and suffers and bleeds and dies for people, if this Jesus is what God is like, wouldn't that be astonishing? I think to myself, if, if Jesus is what God is like, I'm in. How about you? I'm speaking this morning and uh, maybe you have been a Christian for decades. Maybe you've been a Christian for half a century. I don't know. Or maybe you've come this morning and you're not really sure about Christian things. You're not really sure whether to call yourself a Christian. Maybe you, you do right now call yourself an out-and-out -out unbeliever and, you, and, you, and you're, not, you're definitely not a Christian. But we're really pleased you're here. We're really pleased that you've come along to listen and, and think through these things. Because as a Christian, I, I, it's not that I'm kind of vaguely interested in the idea of God and I happen to have found my Jesus brand and the, and the Christians in this room this morning, it's, it's not as though we're vaguely interested in the idea of religion. I don't think anyone here is vaguely interested in the idea of religion. I don't think anyone here has that much time for organized religion. Um, disorganized religion is more my thing, but uh, I don't think anyone here is, is that into the concept of there being some kind of gods. If you're a Christian here this morning, it's Jesus you love, right? I often explain it like this, I'm, I'm a bit like the woman who doesn't really believe in marriage and for all her life she keeps on saying, I don't believe in marriage, I don't believe in marriage, I don't believe in marriage and then she meets a guy and she falls in love and she ends up getting married and why does she get married to him? Does she suddenly believe in marriage now? No, she believes in him and he's converted her. In the same way, you know, am I vaguely, you know, interested in the idea of God? Not really. I'm not vaguely interested in the idea of God at all. I could take or leave the idea of God, but I've met a guy. There's this guy called Jesus, and he shows up, and he shows up as a God who stretches his arms to the world and bleeds his own heart's blood, even for his enemies, praying, Father, forgive. And if that's our picture of God, I'm in. I'm in. How about you? Are you in? Well, this morning, I'm going to just introduce Jesus to you again, this, this one who would be wonderful if he were God. If he were God, it would be so good if he were God. I'm going to introduce Jesus to you, and look, maybe you have trusted in Jesus for, for decades. That's okay, you need to hear about Jesus again. And maybe as you listen in, maybe bring to this morning your anxieties, and bring to this morning your anger. Can I ask you to do that? Bring whatever it is that you're fearful about, bring it before the Lord now and, and let's hear about Jesus. Whatever it is you're angry about, 
bring it before the Lord. And we'll see what Jesus does with it. Of course, I know you don't get angry. You're English. You never get angry, I'm sure. You're just, you're just frustrated, that's all. And you just, you just never want to deal with that person ever again in your life. And that's fine. You'll be perfectly civil to them. And you're not angry. You're just frustrated. I know that. But maybe, maybe you're angry about stuff. And maybe you're angry and scared after the events of last night. Maybe. A lot of people are angry. A lot of people are scared. What does Jesus have to say to these things? So, if you know Jesus... Let's listen again to how Jesus engages our hearts. And if you're not yet sure whether Jesus is God or not, okay, listen in, listen in. And you might this morning make the most wonderful conclusion. You might make this, the most extraordinary discovery that the God who is really there is like Jesus. That Jesus reveals to you what God is really like we're going to have a look at just a verse from John chapter 10. It's uh, up on the screen, but if you want to look at its context, it's on page 631 of these church Bibles. It's John chapter 10 and verse 11. And in this verse, Jesus, he does a great thing in terms of introducing himself. If we meet at a party, I'm probably going to ask you two questions. They're boring questions, aren't they? Who are you and what do you do? Boring questions, aren't they? But they tend to be the ones that introduce uh, each other to, to ourselves, don't we? So we ask people, well, we ask Jesus, Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And we say, oh, that's nice, good shepherd. What, what do you do? And Jesus says, ah, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we'll just look at this verse and think about who is Jesus and what does he do? And the first thing Jesus tells us about who he is, is, well, I am the good shepherd. And everyone listening to Jesus would have heard the most extraordinary claim. Because the Jews listening to Jesus, they understood their Old Testament, the first three quarters of the Bible that were written before Jesus came in the flesh. And they knew things like Psalm 23. Perhaps you know Psalm 23. It's that famous Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It's that one that goes, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's often said at uh, funerals and uh, state occasions. Friends of mine actually had it read at their wedding, which I don't, I don't know, it sort of sends mixed messages, doesn't it? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know. But they had it at, at their wedding. But how does the psalm begin? The Lord is my shepherd, right? And if you read that back in the Old Testament, it was Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So you knew it was, you know, dealing, you know, it meant business, right? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, God, he is the good shepherd. All throughout the Old Testament, God is the good shepherd. And all throughout the Old Testament, there are these kings that don't really care for their people. And they are bad shepherds. They're not looking after their people. They're not leading them. They're not feeding them. They are careless of their flock. They are bad shepherds. And the one good shepherd is the Lord. The one good shepherd is God, the maker of heaven and earth. And Jesus shows up and he says, here I am. I'm the good shepherd. Oh my goodness. This is an extraordinary claim. This is Jesus coming to planet earth and saying, I am your maker. It's an astonishing thing for anyone to say. Have you ever met anyone who's claimed to be divine? I've met a couple of people who've actually claimed to be the son of God to me. A couple of people. Um, you won't be surprised to learn that it was on the mental health wing of, of uh, some hospitals and they were not in a good place when they made these claims to me. Uh, one of these guys, Mark, he's actually become a, a, a friend of mine. And um, 
he was going through a terrible time and he had this psychotic episode. He was sectioned, he was on the wing and he started claiming to be the Son of God. And uh, he wasn't a Christian at this stage, but he picked up from somewhere that there's this idea of the Son of God and he, he thought that he must be it. So he started making the claims. And what was funny is that there was another guy on the wing and he was like, oh, brilliant, because I've, I've, I've got this question about this verse of the Bible. Can you help me with this verse of the Bible? And my friend Mark said, I've actually never read the Bible. And the other guy says, call yourself a son of God. You should, you should read the Bible. And my friend Mark said, I probably should read the Bible, shouldn't I? And he started reading through the New Testament and he says he made the two most wonderful discoveries. Number one, Jesus is the son of God. Number two, I'm not, phew. <laughs> Can you imagine the, you know, the weight off your shoulders? To, oh, phew, I'm not the Messiah. You know? I'm just a naughty boy, right? This is, but Jesus is. He is the Son of God. But when people start making these claims, I am the unique and eternal Son of God, we, we tend to either section them or think they're trying to get money out of us. We think they're mad. We think they're bad. Do you think that about Jesus? What do you reckon? You look at Jesus. I don't know. Do you think he's mad? He's founded civilizations. His, his teaching has rolled on down through the centuries and, and, and shaped the Western world. He walked through planet Earth with such poise and dignity and spoke like no one has ever spoken before. Do you, do you think he's mad? I don't think he's mad. Do you think he's bad? Here is the man who bleeds for his own enemies, praying, Father, forgive. Yeah, do you think he's bad? No, he, I don't think anyone here is prepared to say that he's mad. I don't think anyone here is prepared to admit that he's bad. So are you prepared to admit that he's God? It's the only option for you. It really is. He's not lying to himself and he's not lying to you. He's telling the truth. He's the good shepherd. And again, I'm not trying to force you into the corner with your arm up behind your back saying, oh, okay, Jesus is God. Wouldn't it be astonishing if Jesus was God? Lord Byron, the old poet, he used to say, if God is not like Jesus Christ, he ought to be. That could have been in the Bible, actually. He just needs to finish off that thought. If God is not like Jesus, he ought to be. But good news, God is entirely and utterly and exactly like Jesus. Jesus comes to planet Earth, and John's Gospel introduces him as the Word of God. That means he's the explanation of God. He's the exact representation of God. He's the communication of God. He's what God wants to say to the world. Jesus is what God looks like. Because the Bible's picture of God is, before there was a world, there was this loving family. There was a father always loving his son, Jesus, in the joy of the Holy Spirit. That is this picture of God. This fountain of life and light and love. That is who God is. And as Jesus comes to planet Earth, He is revealing to us the eternal nature of God. That light, that life, that love. We see it all in Jesus. I think that would be astonishing if that was true, wouldn't you? What if there is a God of light and life and love? What if He's shown up? And what if He's bled His own heart's blood for you? Are you in? I'm in. I mean, if you keep looking at this Jesus, it's a very dangerous thing to do to keep looking at this Jesus. 
Because, you know, at some stage, the lights just go on and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, he, he must be it. He must be the head honcho. He must be number one, numero uno. He must be the Lord, right? And as soon as you start saying that, bad luck, you're a Christian. You know, it just, just kind of sneaks up on you. What do you make of him? He says he is the good shepherd. And a Christian is just someone who gladly says, oh yeah, oh yeah, good news. Here finally is a good shepherd. But before we move on to the second point about what Jesus does for us, uh, we need to press into something that might be a bit offensive here. Have you spotted what might be offensive in this verse yet? See, if Jesus is the good shepherd, what does that make you? A sheep, right? Are you offended yet? You probably should be, right? <laughs> because sheep are morons, aren't they? Absolute idiots. We've got a farmer in our church. He, he's got a farm just outside Eastbourne. He's got a couple of hundred head of, of, uh, of sheep. And he just says, actually, I, I, once, I once said in a sermon that sheep are morons. And he came up to me afterwards and he says, no, sheep are ingenious. Ingenious at finding ways of killing themselves. <laughs> you, you've never, you, know, you, know, you know that if sheep just get a little bit too wet, they fall over and they can't get themselves up and they die. That's it. Like rain kills them, okay? And if they get lost, you know, my, my friend, Farmer Brown, he will go and find his lost sheep. And, and he can't just find the sheep in a ditch and provide it with new information and, uh, and map and say, all right. He can't even just say, come on, Flossie, follow me. Flossie does not follow him. Flossie is a moron. <laughs> Flossie requires lifting up and putting onto the, onto the tractor and, and, and lifting home because sheep are morons. And Jesus says to you and me, you and I are spiritual morons. Okay? This is what we're like. We're always following after the wrong thing, aren't we? Sheep are always, you know, you can't stop a sheep in the middle of you know, the, the field and say, so why are you going in this direction? It's just following the next one. And the next one's just following the next one. You ask the sheep at the front, do you know where you're going? You have no idea, I'm just a sheep. Right? This is, and Jesus says, this is human nature, right? This is your life and this is my life. Okay? We just follow after stupid stuff. Why do we follow after it? Why do we follow after the fads that we follow after? Well, because someone else is doing it. Why are they doing it? Well, because someone else is doing it. Why are they doing it? And we just, we just follow all over these things. And there is a good shepherd. There is a fountain of light and life and love. And we go, yeah, whatever. I'm going to find life over here. And we run away from the good shepherd and we get lost trying to find life on our own terms. You know, maybe it's that relationship that's really going to give us spiritual life and vitality. Maybe it's that job, maybe it's that achievement, maybe it's that experience, maybe it's just that feeling, maybe we just live for the weekend, maybe we just live for that blowout, maybe we just live to get off our face, maybe we just, what is it? What do we live for? We're like sheep following after other lost sheep and we get hungry and we get lost. And there we are in the darkness. But what does the God of light and life and love do when he sees us in the darkness? What does he do? Well, love joins you. Love says, you know, your pain's going to be my pain. Your plight is going to be my plight. Your lostness, I'm going to join you in it. Your debts will become my debts. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, 
And then what do I do? He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's beautiful news. We need this. Here we are, lost, chasing after all the wrong things in life. And instead of Jesus saying, you've made your bed, now lie in it. Instead of that, he comes to us in our lostness. And he, he takes our lostness on himself. He takes our darkness on himself. He takes our death on himself. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's beautiful, isn't it? But if, have you noticed how nuts it is? Jesus says, I am God. And you can imagine people saying, all right, prove it then. And what, what would Jesus do to prove that he's God? What should he do? Like, what would you do? If, this is a funny hypothetical, isn't it? If you were God, how would you prove, you know? Would you go abracadabra shazam and, you know, you make a mountaintop blow and, you know, volcano erupts or, I don't know, you make a, you make a donkey sing show tunes and tap dance or something, you know? See, ta-da! Jesus never does any of that, right? He says, I'm God, and people are like, well, prove it. And Jesus says, all right, watch me die. That'll prove it. That's odd, isn't it? I'm God. Prove it. Watch me die. But it makes sense, doesn't it? If, if God is a fountain of life and light and love, how does he express his deity? By pouring himself out. You know, you've never seen something so divine as when Jesus died on that cross. You've never seen something so glorious. You've never seen something so exalted as when Jesus died on that cross. Because that's his life being poured out for us. There he is proving that he is the great fountain. I don't know what you think it would look like when God shows up. What do you think it would look like for God to show up? I once preached a sermon with exactly that title. What does it look like when God shows up? And uh, <clears throat> it was another church in uh, Eastbourne, not the church that I go to. And uh, they got very excited, and they, they produced some publicity and things, and there were even people like flyering in the, in the center of town saying, come on Sunday, and, and we'll hear this sermon on what does it look like when God shows up. And people said to me, Glenn, have you seen the publicity? I said, no, I haven't seen any of it, but good on them, wait, show up on the day. And there aren't just flyers, there's a massive billboard poster outside the church with the words, what does it look like when God shows up? And a big picture of me next to it. <laughs> it's like, which must have been a tremendous disappointment for people, I imagine. But actually, my, my sermon was on a letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, you know what it looks like when God shows up? It looks like the cross. It looks like Jesus bleeding for his enemies. Is that what you thought it would look like for God to show up? Well, here's a God you can believe in. Here's a God who, after last night, when everyone's saying, how does God and suffering and evil and, and terror, how on earth do those things go together? Well, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of how God and terrorism go together, but I, I look at this God, and this God was a torture victim. This God suffered violently. This God was the ultimate innocent victim who was butchered before the eyes of the world. I, I don't know how they go together, but somehow in Jesus they do. Somehow there is a God, and somehow there is a world of suffering and evil. 
But here is a God who enters into suffering and evil and absorbs it in himself. And this is what he's doing on the cross. And he's not just absorbing the the evil out there in the world. He's also absorbing your evil and my evil, your darkness and my darkness, your debts and my debts. He's taking them on himself. It's an image here, really, of the sacrificial lamb. That's what Jesus is alluding to here in this verse. In the Old Testament, if you'd done wrong, if you'd been a moron, morally, spiritually, you know what you'd do? You'd go to the temple and you'd bring a lamb with you. And you'd confess your spiritual idiocy. You'd you'd confess the stupid stuff that you'd done. And it was this idea of laying your hands on the head of the lamb, that your sins is... Are going on onto the lamb, and it's identifying with you, and and then you have to take a, a knife, and the lamb gets it in the neck, and you're all thinking, well, what did that lamb do to deserve that? And that's the idea. That's that's exactly the idea. The lamb did nothing. You did it all. The lamb was innocent. You were guilty, and the lamb dies in your place. You go home free and forgiven through the death of your lamb. Now, in the Old Testament, none of these lambs actually forgave you. It was all theater. It was all telling you this truth of when the good shepherd comes, he is going to die like a lamb. He's going to be the, 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 the ultimate sacrifice, the one who took our sins on himself. So if you want to understand what's going on at the cross, here's, here's how you understand it, okay? Imagine that you're there in the Old Testament temple, and imagine you're queuing up to make your sacrifice, and you're feeling guilty, and you're feeling stupid. But before you get to the front of the queue, you hear this booming voice from the center of the temple. It's God, and God says, get out. And you see all these priests hitch up their robes, and they're running out of the temple, and you pick up Flossie, and you you go to a safe distance, and you turn back, and there is God. He comes down out of the temple, into the courtyard. He comes to the altar. And he lays down on it. He asks a priest to come over, and the priest with trembling hands confesses the sins of the people onto his head. And then God is slain on the altar. And the blood pours down. And we go home free and forgiven. That's what's happening at the cross. A God who would be slain like a lamb for you. Is this a God you can believe in? Maybe as I've been speaking, maybe you've been thinking, I can trust this God. And if so, I I guess there's there's two things you need to do. I think you need to recognize Jesus as, as your shepherd, and you need to recognize him as your lamb. He's your shepherd, and he's your lamb. He's your shepherd, okay? You've been running after foolish things. You have been. I I do it, you do it, we all do it. We run after foolish things. The good shepherd says, come trust me. Walk my way. You need to trust Jesus as your shepherd, and maybe, maybe he's going to move you from the path that you're on. I don't know what path you're on. Maybe, maybe he'll help you on the path that you're on. Maybe he'll shift the path that you're on. But the thing he'll do is he will shepherd you, and it's, it's him in charge. He is your shepherd. But you need to recognize Jesus as your lamb as well. Do you recognize that there's darkness in you? 
Do you recognize that there's sin and selfishness in you? And do you want to, as it were, kind of lay your hands on the head of Jesus and confess that darkness, that burden? Confess it onto Jesus and say, Jesus, will you take that? Because I can't take it. I've been carrying it for far too long. Can you take it? Jesus says, oh yeah, I died to take it. I bled to cleanse it away. Will you see Jesus as your shepherd? And will you see Jesus as your lamb? I think that's a good thing to close on, I think. If you're a Christian, are you anxious about things? We have a good shepherd who, even through the valley of the shadow of death, can be trusted. Okay. Are you angry? Well, maybe, maybe you're running after things like a sheep, and you're not getting them, and it makes you angry, and Jesus just kind of wants to direct you onto a new path. Or maybe you're angry because you don't feel forgiven. In Jesus, you are forgiven. All your sins transferred onto the perfect head of Christ. His blood shed for you atones for all your sins. You know, it's very difficult to be grateful and angry at the same time. It's very difficult to be grateful and anxious at the same time. So if you're a Christian, let's return again to Jesus and see him as our good shepherd, as our bleeding lamb. And if you've never called on Jesus in those kinds of terms, I'm just going to invite us all to bow our heads. And I just want to lead us in a prayer that you can pray. And, and you can pray this prayer if you've been a Christian 50 years. But it's also a prayer that you can pray if you want Jesus right now to come into your life, to be your shepherd and to be your lamb. And I'm just going to ask, because I'm not going to be here at the end of the service, but if, if there are people here who want to make a commitment to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you as my shepherd and my lamb, can you just raise your, raise your hand now so that Rich and Dan can perhaps help you? Thank you. And let me just lead in a prayer. And The words aren't magic. The words are not magic. They're just one way that you could respond to Jesus, the good shepherd. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, what a God you are. I praise you for being the God who comes and stoops and knows our suffering. Lord Jesus, there is suffering in my life, and there is sin in my life. There's darkness in the world, and there's darkness in my heart. And I'm sorry. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for rising again. Please be my lamb to forgive me. And be my shepherd to guide me. This day and always. 
Amen.